I'm Bill Hayes, along with Don Landry, and we are back with our first podcast of the new year. We'll be talking about Brian Burke, Dustin Penner. When you think about it, they both may have had too many pancakes. We'll explain. There's First Lady Politics, MPs who cross the floor, the deification, not of Tim Tebow, and lots more. So for better or worse, strap yourself in. This is the gist of it. Politics, sports, entertainment, pop culture. It's all fair game here. Somewhere in the city of Toronto, two brains are about to collide. What will remain is the gist of it. Here now are Bill Hayes and Don Landry. Happy New Year, Don. I know you had a good one because you and I have talked quite a bit, actually. I, I, I know you had a good one. Yeah. Generally speaking, they're uneventful, but it was a little different for us this we year. We were a little bit... When I say I was a little busy over the Christmas holidays, I go beyond the... And this is true, by the way. Three Christmas dinners within 24 hours. Oh, that's Christmas tough. Eve, Christmas lunch, Christmas dinner that day. That was kind of tough. But yeah, we were busy. We were, um, you know, thankfully... Uh, pressed into action at News Talk 1010 in Toronto, and uh, gratefully so. Nice. Uh, you did some solo work. I did some solo work. And then we did some stuff together, filling in for Jim Richards uh, in the second week. And we hope that there's more of that coming in 2012. It's not up to us. We could beg on this podcast for more time on News Talk <laughs> Yeah, we'd 10, like to 10. say pretty we're please, above that. But... <laughs> pretty please. Pretty please. Pretty please. Bombs away, boys. Bombs away. I wouldn't cross the street to shake the hand of an MP who's crossed the floor. And it happened again this week. Thankfully, it doesn't happen a whole hell of a lot. However, it needs to stop immediately, if not sooner. Quebec NDP MP Lee Saint-Denis has ditched Jack Layton's orange surge for the rebuilding Liberals. Now, I'll give Saint-Denis one thing. Her move is from a second-place team to a third-place team, so I won't accuse her of opportunism. Not like Belinda Stronach, who fancied her ability to swing the pendulum of power from Tory blue to liberal red when she crossed, or worse, Wajid Khan when he went from opposition to the government side, leaving the liberals for the conservatives and a plum job dangled in front of him by the prime minister. No, St. Denis' move is more like leaving your lifeboat to get back on board the Titanic, isn't it? It is a fraud nonetheless foisted on the voting public. Elected as somebody who was attached to the NDP platform, Saint-Denis owes it to her constituents, in my opinion, to immediately resign her seat so that a by-election can be called, where she could feel free to run as a liberal, and that would give her constituents the chance to weigh in on her defection, endorse it and vote for her again, or decry it and turf her at the ballot box. She won't, though, and no MP that I can remember has ever done that. That's why we need reform. Legislation that ensures an MP must run immediately in a by-election if they want to cross the floor. I'm not holding my breath on this one. I nearly harmed myself doing that, waiting for Senate reform. Yeah, good luck on that. I I don't uh, see this as that big a problem, frankly. I think uh, she was... uh elected as part of a, pro- a party that doesn't exist anymore. She was part of Jack Layton's NDP. And I think it's pretty safe to say that that's not the party she's part of now, I mean, or that any of them are a part of now. That was, in my opinion, a cult of personality, if you will. People were buying into Jack Layton's dream. He's not there. She's got to find a new dream. It's not up to the people in her riding, though, to make that decision. I mean, we can sit here from afar and say, well, that's a whole different kind of animal. But we don't know what the interim leader, Bob Ray Liberals, kind of animal is. Shouldn't they have the right to decide? This is okay by us because we voted her in um, on Jack Layton's coattails. Well, Things have changed. I mean, w- I, I think the difference here, though, Don, is that when you elect someone, you, you do elect their party as well. But you're also electing that person to make decisions. And 
she's made this decision for whatever reason, you have to respect that. If you really want her out, wait till the next election. Yeah, not good enough because the next election is in 2015. It's in 2015. We're three years away from another election, three years plus. I, I think we need legislation to reform this. It, 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 it drives me to distraction to see this. I remember having it out with Wajid Khan. Happened to be that he came into the radio station I was working at. He was a sponsor, so it was a little bit uncomfortable. But I remember being very angry with him, not because he went to the liberal from the liberals to the Tories, but simply because he could. And I said to him, "You can be that guy. You don't have to call a by-election, but why don't you be the person who sets the precedent and says I was elected by my constituents under this platform for this party? I have decided I can't, in good conscience, do that anymore. That's good for his conscience, but for the rest of them." They look at as it turned out in the next election, they tossed him out. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I believe they had the right to do that immediately, or should have the right to do that immediately. We're never going to see, as I said, an MP decide that that's the right thing to do, even though I think it is the right thing to do. Uh, we need legislation. We we need some kind of law in the books that says if you're going to cross the floor, that we need to have a by-election post haste. I, I don't think you're going to see it for another reason, and that's cost. You could see by-elections up the yin yang, and they cost money. This is the gist of it. To be truthful, Don, I was going to talk about the new CBC shows, but I'll save that till next week when I can make a little more sense of it. Uh, but no, I, something else has kind of tickled my fancy, as it were. Michelle Obama is angry at Jody Cantor. Now, Cantor is a New York Times reporter who recently wrote a book called The Obamas, and it depicts the American First Lady as some kind of behind-the-scenes force at the White House, not just with her staff, but with, well, political staff. And it's not necessarily a positive story. Mrs. Obama is bristling at her portrayal as some kind of angry black woman. The clear implication from the book is that she's had some difficulties with other White House staff and it has caused some amazing friction. It's also seen by some as a continuing political description that Democratic First Ladies are pushy, too involved politically, and generally pains in the butts. And that Republican wives are sweet, demure, stay-at-home, supportive wives that wouldn't say shit with a gun held to their heads. They're so sweet, you wonder how they even had children. I wonder that too, but in the case of, say, Barbara Bush, for a completely different reason. Look, I understand cliches like these are part of politics, and I'm sure most of the people involved are as well. So what I'm really saying here is more of a public service announcement. They're all nonsense. Believe only at your peril. Go, girl, is what I say. I mean, I I don't really... I haven't thought about it nearly enough to classify Republican first ladies versus Democrat first ladies. And I don't really care if Michelle Obama is ruffling feathers. And I think she should. I guess so. Maybe I do care from the standpoint of if she's just sitting back and doing nothing, she shouldn't. It's a pretty powerful position. It can be. You can sway some people. Now, whether you can do it legislatively, uh, you know, that's questionable. But you can certainly win the hearts and minds of people who are advisors, who uh, have some power. You can forward your own agenda. Hillary Clinton did that, of course. I bet Nancy Reagan did that, too. Uh, you know, my memory isn't serving me. That's uh, kind of appropriate. Oh, when talking about the Ronald right. Reagan White yeah. House. But uh, certainly, I think you have a response responsibility to push some kind of a forward agenda as a first lady. I, I, I do believe it. It's, it's beyond um, your choice. It's, it's, it's beyond a whim. It is a responsibility to use that position, which can be a fairly powerful one, to affect some positive change. And if you want to springboard to a presidential run somewhere down the road, Hillary, that's fine too. Well, don't you think, though, that really this is all an image thing? Because all women, first ladies or not, have some impact, be it large or small, in the lives of their husbands. I mean, it's not a big story, 
the story, the narrative here seems to be one is for the good and one not so much. Where have we heard that one before, Bill? Republican good, Democrat bad, Republican protector of the United hey, States, Democrat socialist ruination just around the corner. Let's try and be fair and balanced here, Don. <laughs> So this past weekend, Don, we had the first round of the NFL playoffs, and generally speaking, they were a bore. Until the last game, which had uh, Denver hosting Pittsburgh. Most people going into this game, the so-called experts, had the Steelers winning this one pretty handily because Tim Tebow and the, the Denver Broncos just weren't going to be able to compete. Well, clearly that wasn't the case. The Broncos went ahead early, and then first play of overtime to score an 80-yard touchdown to win. And it becomes, again, a narrative about God loves the, the Broncos because of Tim Tebow. You think that's fair? Yes, I think it's completely fair. God loves the Denver Broncos. God has chosen the Denver Broncos. That's why they had a perfect season, Bill. That's why they didn't lose a single game, never lost a quarter, didn't even have a touchdown score. If God loved the Denver Broncos, they wouldn't have given up a single point so far. They would have beaten everybody 70 to nothing. And they'd be a lock for the Super Bowl. So what you're it's saying, I'm getting some sarcasm here. Yeah, there's a little bit of sarcasm there. I don't, no chance at Foxborough this weekend. Look, I know the legend of Jesus Christ is real tough guy, very courageous, mm-hmm. gave himself up. I'll get crucified. That's going to hurt like hell. I know it. I'm going to give myself up, you know, so that all of our sins can be forgiven. As brave as Jesus Christ was to do that. He ain't going into Foxborough on a Saturday night in January to face Tom Brady. It's over. It's over, God boy. Well, it could well be. See, I don't blame Tebow for any of this. I, I know there's an awful lot of people who are, you know, uh, really upset because of his overtly religious tones. I mean, you ask him the weather, and he says, "My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says it's pretty cold out." You know, uh, I, and I, that is annoying. Uh, no question. Can you imagine I get that. if Jesus Christ was on the Weather Network. <laughs> In front of the green screen. (laughs) That's a funny thought, actually. you got to stop with the robes and trim the beard. But that's another thing. I've decided we're going to have snow squalls up near Innisfil Beach Side Road, okay? (laughs) But the thing that's interesting to me is it's not Tebow that's putting himself on TV. He's not making himself the story. It's, in fact, the media. And the media is doing it because it means ratings. So all of this is a part of something much bigger than him genuflecting and Tebowing. It has become a phenomenon. I get all of that. But it wouldn't have happened at all if they weren't shining such a light on him. And, of course, if they weren't the Broncos weren't a lot more successful with Tebow's quarterback. He's he's just living his life the way he feels he needs to. And so, no, I I, I don't blame Tim Tebow. I don't dislike Tim Tebow. Um, I could do with fewer ISO shots of him or slow motion reaction shots after mean somebody else. Yeah, well, um, I think a good game means ratings, and, and, but I don't doubt that beyond that, uh, the cult of celebrity uh, will, will also boost that. Um, I mean, would you have more people watching Denver versus Pittsburgh if Kim Kardashian was quarterbacking than Tim Tebow? I, 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 probably not, because you still want to see a little bit of football, although... I wouldn't mind seeing Kim Kardashian. Well, the snap would take on a whole new meaning. There's no question with that. Or or the phrase, she's under center. (laughs) I think would be be completely different. (laughs) So I I don't blame Tim Tebow. Um, I don't even dislike him, but it it, it is odd. I I think it's just you get to this point of overkill with any kind of cultural phenomenon. And nobody overkills better than 
those who cover the National Football League. It's already a league of giant hyperbole, and, sure. and some of that is is um, acceptable. I mean, it's just a giant, fun, dramatic league. But when you you don't need to build it up more. But unfortunately, I think the commentators do the block. It's such a gargantuan machine that everybody wants to be a piece of it, and they want to build it up a little bit higher. And I think that Tebow is a bit of a victim when it comes to that. So I, I don't dislike Tim Tebow, but look, I've, I've had a long-standing animus toward the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I found myself, believe it or not, rooting for them on Sunday. Well, and I couldn't explain but that. But that's outside a different of- issue. That's a football fan looking at it. This story has become much more than just football. It's become a, well, they don't like him because he's Christian thing. And I, I don't see nah. that as a big part of it. There's no question there are some people who feel that way. And and is it legitimate? Probably. But I, I fail to believe that, I don't. I refuse to believe it, maybe a better way to put it, that people are actually watching this because they think, wow, he's a great Christian. They don't care. The question is, the Broncos win or do they lose? I think so. I mean, it, it comes down to that. It's the drama of the play. It doesn't. It's not that a guy who is devoutly religious is pulling off uh, these. See, and they're calling him like a miracle play. What's oh, miraculous? It's, it's a crossing pattern against a corner who had a rough game anyway, and, and a if bad you get, defensive setup. And if you get it, if you get the guy in a trail position on a crossing route, you can get eighty-yard touchdowns. Like yeah. it was about a twenty-five-yard pass. It was a good pass. It wasn't a great pass, well, but, but it was again, mostly yak. It was mostly yards after catch. You make something a point there that has been lost in this, and and it's one of the things that. I, I find most frustrating. I got into a discussion with someone the other day who did take that Christian angle yeah. and was very upset by it. And I said, look, the guy, technically, he's a terrible quarterback. His passes are not very good. He's he's an athlete. He's not a quarterback. Yeah. The thing is, he's winning and good for him. I'll give him that. But long term, do I think he's going to succeed? No, I think he, I think he, he learns might. how to pass. I think well, and and I think that's the next step. I, obviously, he can run the ball very, mm-hmm. very well, and that's important in the National Football League these days. But and if he can become a little bit better passer, oh, some, be some would say a lot. I don't know about that. He put that one he zipped into the end zone earlier in the game was a great pass. Yeah, so but how he many shows other that he can. Did he miss by five, ten yards? I know. I don't think you're wrong. He needs to become a better passer. I just don't think he needs to become a far better passer um tim tebow is a, a likable enough guy but enough with the slow motion taking a knee i i don't need to see that okay and i don't want to hear about him anymore so i'm rooting for the new england patriots this is the gist of it two things crossed my mind when i saw brian burke at the podium last week almost bursting into tears i thought over the demotion of colt nor right uh the first thing was somebody really needs to teach him how to tie a tie okay you look you're not in the rat pack brian Okay. It's not, and it's not catching on. Other people are Won't not be doing me. I the can't tie a tie either. Undone tie look. That's enough. Uh, the other thing was that um, it was the first time I'd really seen Brian Burke or heard him say something when I started to get the notion that is this guy losing touch? I've disagreed with him often mm-hmm. in the past, but this was the first time he said something where I went, what? Uh, and I really specifically think what? About, you know. Uh, uh, about the green piecers being uh, fine with Colton Orr being sent down because it occurred to me that you know he was acting like Greenpeace. He's trying to save the uh, nearly extinct enforcer in the NHL. But beyond that, the bigger picture, I, I felt that he might be out of touch because things are changing and we're on a track and we're and we're moving ahead uh, when it comes to the development of the National Hockey League. And all he wants to do is look over his shoulder and say, but it was great when it was this way, and I want it to stay this way. And I've never had a moment where I heard Brian Burke speak where I thought, 
Boy, he seems a little out of touch on this. Well, three things on that. One is, three? I think, well, yeah, one Wilder. is I think he had to, had to say something along those lines because he signed him to that four-year contract at a million dollars. This is not a million-dollar-a-year player. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Colton Orr is he gives you one thing and one thing only. He can't skate. I mean, I've heard people say he can skate, he can do that. He's, he's clearly uh, below par as a player in today's NHL. He, he, just, he doesn't keep up. He gives you one thing and one thing only. Well, let me, let me, before you get to two then, on one then, I think that's just another piece of evidence that maybe just the thin edge of the wedge here that Brian Burke may be sliding towards uh, a, into a position where the game is passing him by. A million dollars for a guy who just throws fists. Well, but again, that, Good was, contract. that was three years ago he signed it. The game has changed quite a bit since then. I, I would years. give him that. But again, having said that, um, I think the, the other side of this is something that, Brian Burke and management got in the last CBA. The reason he let Colton Norris go down to the Marlies, quite simply, is it gives him cap space to do something else. That's a million dollars that comes off the cap, and that gives him an opportunity to pick up someone else. So you can't have your cake and eat it too, Brian. If you have a cap, these are situations you're going to have to deal with at some point. Maybe it's one of those guys you didn't want to have to give up, but... That's the reality. Or you think he's just covering himself here well, a little again, bit? It's like the same you know, sort of thing. It's a, it, it is a covering thing. But he, I, I fully believe he is looking to make a deal. Yeah. He has to have some cap space to do it. Colton Orr is the obvious choice, you know. Uh, and the third thing on this is, I think with with uh, with Brian Burke, sometimes he says things just to hear himself speak. Remember, he came in with that. We're going to have to be. Uh, what was it? The testosterone, truculent, truculent. All the, had like four or five different words, right. basically saying he was going to pound the hell out of everybody. Other and, and he hasn't got a team like that. He has a team that is, in fact, the fastest in the league. Right. And I do think that you know he he probably misses that game because that's the game he played as well. But I I I really think the reason he did it was it it was an opportunity for him to make that speech. It's a belief he does have. But not so much that he really thinks the game should go back to that. He just laments the fact that it's gone. It's Phil Hayes and Don Landry, and you're getting the gist of it. There's another portion to this uh, this whole scenario that Brian Burke lays out that I, I completely and utterly reject. And, and Don Cherry picked it up on Coach's Corner on the weekend, too. And that is, without guys who throw fists, it's just, you know, people are going to run amok out there. The rats are going to run amok out there. And it's going to turn the game into one filled with cheap shots. Well, first of all, the game has been filled with cheap shots anyway, mm-hmm. even with fighters in there. I, I can't really see that it's going to increase the amount of cheap shots. And if it does, that's what officials are for. That's what referees are for. That's what Brendan Shanahan is for. Guys want a cheap shot, then they can get punished. And even if a referee misses one in a game, everything's on video. And they do it in the NFL. Referees will miss a call, and they'll still fine a guy or even suspend a guy. And you can do that in the National Hockey League, too. So I say let the rats try and rule. They're not going to. They won't be able to earn a living. Teams will not be able to afford them going to the penalty box one after the other. Just a note on, on, you mentioned Don Cherry mentioning this, too. I think he came out a a little uh, hypocritical, uh, talking about the rats and, and so on, and then defending Marchand. Uh, yeah. from Boston. Yeah. Now, to me, he's the very definition of a rat. And while, yeah, you, you, you lo- that's the problem with rats, so to speak. 
you love to have them on your team. Yeah. But if they're on the other team, you got to get them out of the game. You know, and so it, well, they're not rats if they're on your team, right? They're agitators. Right. They're right. they stir the batch. They're really good guys who yeah, yeah, our yeah. team. You Character know? guys standing up for their teammates. Yeah. I, I do think though that they the league does have potential for a problem, not necessarily without the the uh, the fighters because I I for a long time. I've had no use for them. Colton is not a hockey player. If you go back to him, come on, let's get serious. But if you can get a guy like, let's use Milan Lucic as an example. Mm-hmm. He can fight, mm-hmm. but he can also play. Right. Guys like that, there's a, there's a place for them, and I understand it. And I also think I'm not against fighting in the NHL. For something like what Marshawn did with undercutting Sammy Salo the other day, low bridging him, uh, someone should have gone up and beaten the hell out of him for it and should not have been penalized for doing so because that was a cheap shot. And and the game has to police itself against that kind of stuff. But you don't do it with this goon mentality. What you do it with, that happened, somebody take them out. Look at what's happened to the Buffalo Sabres since Lucic ran into their goaltender, Ryan Miller. Yeah. That team has gone into a spiral. Why? Because no one stood up for their own guy. That's a big problem in the league. And, and you know you can't deny it, nor can you look past it. Something has to be done about that particular situation. Personally, in the Lucic situation, I think the league missed something. I don't. He should have been thrown I out don't for think three or four going, games for that. I don't think there'll be a shortage of players if you do away with fighting in the NHL. I don't think there'll be a shortage of players like Lucic, uh, guys who are good character, guys who who can will also go. Fight you know what? Even play. if I get thrown out of this game, I'm so angry. I'm going to. I'm going to fight. You, you see it, and I keep coming back to football. But I mean, it's a perfect example. But the game's Occasionally, emotional. guys fight in football and they get thrown out. Right. Okay. But does anyone really think football? would be better if guys were, were having fights. No. No. Do, does anyone really believe hockey will be a lesser sport if there aren't any fights? You don't see a lot of fights anyway right now. And no. when you do, it's the staged ones between the heavyweights. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be a lesser game. I don't think it'll be less physical. I don't think it'll be dirtier. And if it does become dirtier, again, you've got um, uh, levers in place that you can pull that will take care of the so-called rats. I'd just like to see the NHL try a season where fighting gets you kicked out just to see what it looks like. Don't carve it in stone or ice, if you will. Have a look at it. See what it's like. See what you need to adjust. See if, in fact, people decide we need to have it back in the league. You you may get the pendulum swinging back the other way and fans saying, no, I, we really need this kind of, a, of an outlet um, in NHL hockey. I, I firmly believe that they don't necessarily need it. What they just need to do is is police the cheap shots, the dirty hits, with with an see, even more punitive eye. No, I see. That's where I disagree with you. I understand your point, and there are times it holds. Water. I don't think you do, Bill. If you if you understood my point, you would not be disagreeing with me. No, I understand me. it. I fully understand. It. I just disagree with it. There's there's a there's a bit of a disconnect there, Don. You, you, stick with me. You'll figure this out. It was a little arrogant of me, wasn't it? <laughs> a yeah. little bit, but that's just okay. But the point here is, I I think that those stage fights you're talking about. Absolutely, get them out of the game. They don't cause, they don't give us anything. I, I mean, you'll hear people say, well, we really rallied after that. But nonsense, come on. The thing is, if something happens during the course of a game that warrants some kind of an outlet like a fight, I don't have a problem with that. I, and I think that has to be allowed into the game. I do agree that perhaps you can you know, penalize, that maybe a game misconduct would be the way to do it. You fight, you're out for a game. I, I, I'm not against that idea, but... Because then what would happen is you'd think twice before doing it. But the point here is you'll get the old people saying, the, the, the old timers saying, 
Well, then I just go after your best player and everything like that there. And uh, the big good that, you know, you take out uh, my best guy with one of your bums and uh, so you win. If that's the case. And then, well, that's the argument. No, but it never made any sense to me because then you have one of your bums go and fight the bum. What What are you getting out of that? If you but If you really want to even the score, the then you have your bum go about. out. You have your bum go out and you injure their player. But again, that's the mindset you're dealing with with these guys who are pro fighting. That's what I'm saying. And, yeah. and and my point is, if the fight has to do with something that happened in a game, a cheap shot like the hit that Marshawn put on Sammy Sallow, I'm all for it. Other than that. Do away with it. It's not necessary. It's not a big part of a game. Yeah, but you don't you don't need Colt Norris in the NHL no. to have, you know, this kind of an outlet fight. They will still have even if you said you get kicked out if you fight, you're still gonna have the odd fight because certain guys who play with skill but are also truculent and can be agitated to the point where they want to drop their gloves, they'll still do it. And those will be more honest fights, if you will. Not exactly. guys, you know, hey, it's our job, so, hey, you know, you I'm going to get out. I'm coming over the boards. Yeah. Do you want to do it now or do you want to do No, second period? Okay, good. Yeah. We're cool with that. That nonsense needs to stop. And you wouldn't lose the edge that NHL hockey has. You, you just won't. I don't buy this whole rats are going to take over and turn it into a cheap shot league and or it's going to become ballet. I don't buy it at all. Let's take a look at the NHL without fighting to see if I'm wrong. I'm willing to do that for a year, but I'm also willing to bet a lot of money it won't work. So, Don, we talked a little bit about hockey. What do you think about recreating the Summit Series of 1972, how that had both Canada, Russia, the hockey world enthralled, went down to that last 30 seconds, I guess it was, when Paul Henderson scores for Canada! 34 seconds, 34 I believe, seconds were it was. Or was right. it 36? No, it was 34. It was 34. But the thing was, it the whole hockey world was enthralled by it. We were... We were paralyzed by it we, everything else didn't matter we were watching that and only that and they're thinking of redoing that with the politicians the story in the star with rick westhead the writer was putin was going to play for russia yeah. harper was going to play for canada I, I like this i think it's a great idea will it be eight games again no it was supposed to be one over there one here yeah. uh surrounding some different diplomatic trips and and that sort of thing and, and i guess Hockey diplomacy. The Prime Minister's office has denied that this is going to happen. Vehemently denied. Vehemently. This is too bad. I hope it does happen because I'm not sure if our guy can beat their guy. But I know this much. If Putin is out there dipsy-doodling, fancy-danning all around, we send John Barrett over to break his ankle. I just hop over the board. He's the guy who'll do that. He could do the Bobby yeah. Clark's ankle surgery. I think he could. On behalf of the Prime Minister's office. I, I think there was probably something to this. And that, uh, as usual, uh, the Tories got their knickers in a knot because they weren't able to announce it first. Somebody got the story, and so they're mad about it. Yeah, Rick I, Westhead I, is a, a very well-respected journalist. Yeah, I think he probably got it from a pretty good source, uh, or what he thought was a pretty good source. Now, maybe he has to reassess that source, mm -hmm. because maybe this now evaporates and becomes nothing at all. But uh, it, it may just be that the Prime Minister's office... Very fond of controlling every single message, every oh, dotted I do. across T would be upset that this kind of got out there. Never mind that got out there in the Toronto Star uh, before it got uh, you know Good released question on, here, though, for you. Would on you official care? letterhead. Do you, would you? I couldn't care less about it. I don't think I'd want to even watch it. Well, I, don't, I, I you know, Well, I wouldn't go to it, I don't think. But, I mean, it, it's kind of a fun story. And uh, 
especially with the context that I have as an eight-year-old who watched that 72 Summit Series. I'm very excited about the 40th anniversary. Can't believe that we're getting there already. But uh, another photo op, a fun thing. I don't mind that. Uh, is, is it something that I'll miss if it doesn't happen? No, I, I'd rather see the original heroes playing against each other. You know? I, I, there's a reason I wouldn't uh, necessarily want to see it. If you recall, if you know, at the end of the lakeshore, where it starts turning up Woodbine, I think it is, near the beach, yep. there's a pool there, the Donald Somerville Pool. Right. That was named for a former mayor of the city who died the same weekend, I think the same day, as President John Kennedy died, and he died in a, in a hockey game. He died in a, I think it was a pickup that. game. Yeah, that's a, and, and that's the kind of thing I'd worry about because not just, I'm pretty sure Harper would be fine and Putin would be fine, but whoever makes up the rest of the teams might necess- not necessarily be someone who's used to, say, physical activity. <laughs> I'm just saying. This is The Gist of It with Landry and Hayes. It's the strangest NHL story of the week, maybe of the season. Uh, L.A. King Dustin Penner injured his back eating pancakes it can happen oh it can have well, you apparently you know anybody can. no are you kidding <laughs> eating pancakes what's dangerous about that you know what i look forward to ken dryden's essay on the nhl's breakfast safety failings <laughs> coming to the globe and mail very very soon obviously dustin penner didn't injure himself eating pancakes he had you know taken a shot in a game and he was kind of fine and then he just starts tucking into pancakes and spasms hit you ever had back spasms i'm not Nasty, nasty, nasty. I had them once. I was in a food court in Barrie once. I was just, uh, I was just eating lunch with a friend of mine, and um, we had been camping a bunch of us the weekend before. And I think that's what what got me was you know sleeping on the ground for a few days. But there I am. So that's the closest thing. I don't even remember if I was tucking and cutting a chicken ball in half or something like that. And then all of a sudden, I start to seize up to the point where I I just curl up almost in a ball, and and I've got to walk you know, that way, like my head is pretty much pointing at my knees as I'm walking through the parking lot, getting in the car. He has to drive me. Somebody luckily had some muscle relaxants. Never take somebody else's drugs, kids. But I had to. I was, and then a few hours later, I was fine. But back spasms are are nasty. So Dustin Penner, unfortunately, is just ready to go. What's more delightful than having some pancakes? Is there, is there a moment in life where you can be as giddy as you are just before you're about to dive into a stack of pancakes with syrup and butter all over them. It's I the happiest moment of your life, and boom! For Dustin now, no more pancakes. He might go with the French toast. <laughs> he might. Have you ever injured yourself in a, in a freakish way, though? I did something. It was self-inflicted, and it was one of the stupidest things, maybe the stupidest thing I've ever done. Wow. A friend of mine named Mark Ralston and I... Uh, agreed to go to a farm in Cardinal, Ontario, the home of Todd Gill, uh, to help a guy uh, on his farm. And we thought this would be a great way, A, to make some money over the summer. You can't do anything. Where's Cardinal, Ontario? You're in the middle of nowhere. Plus, it was a bodybuilding thing. You could go and do a whole lot of stuff. After the first day, (laughs) the two of us got together and went, how can we get out of here? So the next day, they sent us into the barn to do some bailing. Whereupon Ralston and I decided, okay, we got to do something. We spent the morning. He was jumping off a ladder on my ankle. We tried to break it. How stupid was this? <laughs> it ended up, <laughs> seriously, it was really swollen. We, we made up some story about, oh, look what happened. It's a terrible thing. We probably can't stay. The next day, they took us to the hospital. And without a word of a lie, we waited about 20 minutes to get to someone to look at us. And by that time, 
Spending the day in the hayloft had done so much to my hay fever and my allergies. That's what they treated me for first. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can do this. No, wait a minute. Before I go, do some x-rays on this. Serious story. Uh, and, and to this day, I still have problems with my ankle because of it. Yeah. One of the dumbest things I've ever done. Uh, we ended up. <laughs> The third day, hitchhiking back to Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of stories where I didn't get injured and should have mm-hmm. gotten injured. But, I mean, again, the, the the thing at the food court is the closest thing I can come to to Dustin Penner. I have a question well, for you. I have you. a question for that. About the Dustin Penner pancake injury? No, or, no about or, you. All right. Who cuts a chicken ball? <laughs> You're saying I had it coming to me? Absolutely. Blame the victim. Blame the victim, Bill. But look at it. it was maybe it was a very large chicken ball, all right? And I, I I couldn't get my mouth around that whole big chicken ball, Bill. I mean, maybe you can get your mouth around a big ball of chicken, but I can't. Okay. But back to Dustin Penner. For you know what, this would never have happened if if who is the goon on the LA Kings anyway? Who's their enforcer? I don't even know if they have one. But you Boy. look at you got a player like Dustin Penner. Mm-hmm. If he is. Uh, under threat of a cheap shot from Aunt Jemima, you need an enforcer standing next to him to pancake her. Wow, what a podcast. Pancakes, politicians, piety, pugilism, patriots. A podcast packed with product. I'm pleased, Bill. And I'm... Probably popping. <laughs> As we let you go, let me just uh, leave you with one final thought here. Stratford. It's. I mean, you elevate, don't you? Elevate yourself when you go to see something at Stratford. This year, they are presenting You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. It is on the calendar. I am absolutely sure that Christopher Plummer will portray the most powerful Linus we have ever, ever seen. And I, 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 I hardly await... The moment where Lucy puts the football down and Charlie Brown says, Is this a football I see before me? And that's The Gist of It for another week. The Gist of It is available every Wednesday afternoon through iTunes or at DomLandry.com. <laughs>